In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, I was tempted to preach from Proverbs 31 this evening, but you all know Christina, so I thought that would seem a bit repetitive, so we're not going to do that. But in all seriousness, uh, um, you know, we've been thinking for the past couple weeks uh, along with James, and so I wanted to, to continue uh, thinking with James tonight, um, but also maybe perhaps play to my strength uh, a bit, which is uh, knowing things about monasticism. So, you know, it's not, not every day that, that the text gives you a little something to work with in that regard. So we've been uh, walking through James a bit lately, and you'll recall a couple few weeks ago we talked about how our faith, which we have, right, which comes first, must have evidence of it. It must result in works. Again, faith is not works. It results in works. And so, again, if you want to know someone's a faith, you, you look at what, what they do. And that's, they're, they're connected. By necessity, they're connected. It's not a second decision that you make. Now that I'm a person of faith, I'll do something, right? Instead, it's a natural outgrowth of that. And, and then James, which can look like it's kind of, you know, popcorning its way around some issues, James turns to uh, the tongue, because I think James is thinking about, you know, again, when we think of works and ways that our faith manifests itself, our words can harm, you know, that, that little organ of the tongue can do so much damage. The, the, the verse that reminds us, you, you blast and curse with the same tongue, and that's, that's incomprehensible. It's, it's inappropriate that we would use the tongue for that. And so James talking about and warning us to be careful how we use our speech. Um, and, and then related to that, this week we come into a text uh, where James wants to, I think, draw out that use of the tongue by thinking about wisdom and understanding, right? But, but to do it in a way as to think about how we are made as thinking people, but also that we're made to be passionate people. And not, not negatively so, right? Our, our passions, our drives, our desires are good. They're fallen, but they're good, right? So to have passions is not a result of the fall. It's just that our passions become misguided passions because of the fall. Um, and then James warns us about double-mindedness, and that's, my, that's the door cracked open enough for me to walk through with monasticism because monasticism, monos, means single-mindedness. And so really what James is talking about tonight is about being monks. It's about being single-minded uh, in the way we do it. And if you, if you doubt that, a shameless plug would be in November when my new book comes out. You, you can read this argument. And, uh, you know, and many of you know, I, I, if you promise to read my books, I often give them away. So I'm not even saying that so you'll buy them. I'm just saying, like, there I make the argument. And so let's, let's think about James this evening. And, and maybe echoing in our ears is that gospel reading, right, where the disciples walking just far enough behind Jesus right, or talking about, I want to be the greatest. Well, I want to be the greatest. Like, I want to be the closest to Jesus, right? I mean, however you measure the greatest. And then Jesus, what are you talking about? Nothing. We're good, right? It's like all of a sudden when your kids leave the room and you hear them laughing hysterically, you think like, that could be okay, or that could be a problem, or something like that, right? Or you just happen to walk by a group of people, and right after you walk by them, they just start laughing hysterically, and you think, I hope that wasn't about me, right? What's you don't exactly want to start thinking you sat in something, but you wonder if that's what's happening. So, so as we think about even the disciples having this desire, this passion 
to want to be the greatest um, of the disciples and maybe of the followers of Jesus, we think about the way in which our tongue, right, the way they were using their tongues to have this not great conversation. So, so James begins by talking about wisdom and understanding. And another way to think about that is those who are learned, who know things, and understanding there might be uh, leaning towards something like those who are expert in things. And so I was at St. Luke's in Glendale again this morning because Father Rob was in Virginia um, in order to do the memorial service for his brother who passed away last month. And I was with them, and, and uh, after the service, their youth guy who's kind of tasked with the deanery or the, the deanery's kind of efforts at youth ministry, and, and uh, Megan, I think, and Adam, or at least have had some contact with him as well, he, he comes up to me and he's talking, and he's just talking in general about the, the work that's happening here with the youth. And then he goes, but, but I understand that your youth group is really different. <laughs> And I, I started thinking of who was in the youth group and thought, yeah, sure, that's one way to say it. And so, um, but what he meant was, I hear you're very heady. So even our youth now have this reputation in the diocese of being heady. And so we're, we're a heady congregation right down to our youth. And um, so that, that's true. And so this learnedness, this, this ability to, be un, to have understanding very much is, uh, applies to us, I think. But if we claim to be learned, if we claim to have, you know, to be expert in something, then we are under obligation, James says, by our good conduct to show it. So there's that connection back to our behavior. Like, look, if you're people of faith, and then if you're people of faith who know things, who have wisdom and understanding, you are obligated through your good conduct to show it. And to do that gently with gentle wisdom or in meekness of wisdom is the way our text translates it, right? That doesn't mean passively, but it also doesn't mean obnoxiously. It, it probably means more like deliberatively. So if we know these things and we are wise and understanding people, then we have the burden to show it, that our conduct will demonstrate it deliberately. And again, that's not throwing it in your face. That's not being know-it-alls or always having the answer. But, but we live life in light of the fact that we have this wisdom and knowledge. Right? You can't keep it to yourself. Right? I, I've said this a million times. You, you know, I love books. Absolutely love books. Um, and my office is out of control. And if any of you students have been in it lately, every time at the end of a semester, students come in and they sit down and they say, oh, it looks like you got more books this summer, Dr. Peters. <laughs> Maybe I did. I don't know. So, um, but my office is absolutely crowded with books. And I love being in there and I love researching topics and and that, are all the books read from front to back? No, but have all of them been looked at and usually researched in? Almost always. And so I love knowledge. I love knowing things. I find it hard to, to, to really focus in sometimes. I just want to read. And again, it's not just for the sake of doing that. I mean, that is how I'm predisposed. But I love knowing those things. I mean, this is why working in Tory is so great. I love being generally educated so that I can share it. That's the point of this wisdom is that we share it through our good conduct. And again, that we do that deliberatively. And then James says, though, at the same time, we must not let this wisdom and understanding lead us to jealousy and selfish ambition in our hearts, which I think is what was happening with those disciples. They were in a pretty decent inner circle, were they not? I mean, if we thought of this in terms of, for the Tory students, if this is a, this is a cohort, that's a cool cohort, 
I mean, Jesus shows up as your tutor. It's probably going to be a good day, right? Now, mind you, it is the Gospel of Mark. So he does speak cryptically and in parables. But as we saw a couple weeks ago, he's turned the corner and is speaking more clearly about his death, right? So they're coming to understand. And they, they do have a knowledge that lots and lots of other people don't have. And maybe because of that, in their heart, some of them start thinking like, oh, we have, we have this stuff that no one else knows. Like we're kind of special people. Yeah, well, if we're the special people, I want to be the most special of the people, right? And so we need to not let this knowledge, this wisdom that we have lead us to be jealous or to be selfishly ambitious. And, and James says in our hearts, right? In other words, there's that interiority. James is not just thinking about what do you know, right? What facts can you spell out on a page or something like that? But, but in your heart of hearts, in your inner being, what you know, what is it doing in there? Right? What is it churning up? How are you thinking about this, this wisdom that you have? Right? Are you prideful about it internally? Right? Willing to share it, that's not the problem. But then pers- inner, you know, in your inner self, you think, like, I'm a special person. I know this. Right? So again, this warning that if we have this wisdom, we can't let it become jealous and, 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 and become uh, ambitious. We can't become ambitious because of, because of it. Because that wisdom, if, if, if that was what we did, right, became jealous of it and, and, gained, and had ambition, that, that wisdom, and the scare quotes are intentional here, James says that wisdom is what? Earthly, unspiritual, demonic, right? And leads to disorder and vile practice. Again, that wisdom that would lead to those uh, disordered, right, uh, desires. Again, it's disordered. There, it leads to disorder of practice, earthly, unspiritual, demonic. And I think what James is getting at there, it's not going to just stay in there. You're just not going to be kind of internally jealous and ambitious. It's going to manifest itself. It's going to come out. Right? It, it's going to come out in a, discu- in a discussion you're having as you walk from one town to the next with Jesus. So again, I always like to say, we're no better than the disciples, but can you imagine you're walking some number of steps behind the incarnate Son of God, and what you choose to talk about as being the greatest? Now, I'm not saying I would be any better or any different, but imagine that. I mean, talk about earthly, unspiritual, demonic wisdom. Right, deploying it for those means, it would make no sense. And so that kind of wisdom is only going to lead us personally to bad places, and the text seems to suggest externally, institutionally, it's going to lead us to a bad place, if you will. Rather, true wisdom, and it's almost a shame we have to put an adjective in front of the word wisdom, right? It's almost a shame that we have to say true, right? But true wisdom, spiritual wisdom, is pure and its intention, right? It's pure, that, that it's, it's not self-seeking. It exists for the sake of others. It exists for the sake of itself. And that leads to being peaceable, considerate, submissive, merciful, fruitful, impartial, and without hypocrisy. That's what true wisdom leads to. Again, the, the list is to be peaceable, to be considerate, to submit, to be merciful, fruitful, impartial, and to live without hypocrisy. So again, in James's bigger picture thinking about our faith leads to our behavior, 
False wisdom is going to lead to a kind of behavior that would never suggest we're people of faith, that we, we would, it would be suggesting that we are unwise people. True spiritual wisdom, on the other hand, leads to virtue that becomes evident that we possess this true wisdom. It, it, would, it would result in a conduct of life that's pleasing to God, both that which is motivating it in our inner selves and also the outward manifestation of it. And I think I've shared this from the pulpit before, but if I haven't or if I have, let me remind you. You know, I, I, I had a robust high school experience, and then I got serious about my studies, right? I, I tell the students all the time, and I think I mentioned this even last week, if you knew what my SAT score was, if the students knew what I got on my SAT, they would say, you have no business teaching us, right? Forget your degrees, that's embarrassing, you have no business teaching us, right? But then I got serious about my studies, but then I spent a long time in my head, in my head, all the time. And it was nice because my head was up here and my heart, my inner self was down here. And I was growing up here and kind of not growing down here, right? I was so busy growing in what I needed to know for the next class, the next test, the next paper, that it was easy to ignore my inner self, right? So it surprised me it surprised me when I got my PhD, and as many of you know the story, as I didn't get the first job at Baylor when it was first offered to me, I got to turn it down the second time, but when it was first offered to me, it wasn't offered to me, and I had no other job, and there I was with a PhD with nowhere to use it except in a church. Now, that was how I was thinking at the time, right? I told myself, I'm not above going to work in a church with a PhD, but after I got to that church up in Canada, it, was way, it wasn't way up in the sense of where you guys lived, but I mean, in the grand scheme of things, it was far enough north of Toronto to be out there a little ways, right? Up where people retire to or have farms and raise large animals. And so I'm up there and there's not a lot to do. And so it's, it's a lot of me, it's a lot of me now with a PhD sitting there doing some pretty basic things. And I realized that I had grown in my pride, that I, I had a disorderliness about the way I was thinking about my life, that I had grown this part and had resisted the growth in this part. But, but what James is telling us is that those two things are connected, and that's not the way it's supposed to be. And he does that by talking about our passions. So in addition to this false wisdom, which we can possess, we have the added burden of our passions. And again, let me suggest that those are not negative, necessarily, right? The desire to want to eat is okay. To overeat's a problem, but the desire to eat is natural. It's a good passion, right? The desire to want to be in relationship with people is a good thing. Uh, even, even philosophers have recognized for years that the desire to procreate is a perfectly natural passion, Right? So these aren't always disordered, and so these passions, but, but they can be disordered, and, and we have to work hard because of the fall, and so these passions tend to cause us to war within ourselves, so much so that we fail to ask God for, for things rightly, or even to ask him at all. So right now, not only do I have things up in my head that I know, but now I've got this passion, these passions warring within me. And so we're people who have the minds and, the, and our thoughts and our intellect, but we also are people who have to deal with what's happening in the gut, if you will, right? In the heart, to use biblical language, right? In the chest, to, to echo C.S. Lewis. 
And those two things aren't supposed to be at war with one another. They're supposed to work together with one another. And so James is warning us that, like, look, when you are uh, people who know something, you need to show it. And you, you show it well when you cultivate proper, true wisdom, right, which, again, leads to being peaceable, considerate, submissive, merciful, fruitful, impartial, and without hypocrisy, or you could be people who possess false wisdom, which, by the way, is earthly, unspiritual, demonic, and will lead to disorder and vile practice. By the way, while you're struggling, while you're navigating that reality of what it is to know and to conform your behavior to what you know, you also have these passions within you. And so the solution, James says, submit to God. Now, thanks, James, right? Because like, that sounds like, great, yes, I, I know that. That seems like a simple solution. You know, when one of the boys says something like, man, I just can't seem to get a good grade in that class, my answer is always the same. Well, work harder. Right? Because I, it's not always just an intellectual thing. It's, it's an inve- you know, a lot of times it's an investment thing. That doesn't mean their grades are going to go up, but at least they would know they're putting more effort into it. And, and so, like, to say to submit to God is like saying something obvious, is it not? Yeah, I know that's the answer, submit to God. But what does that mean? Well, James seems to think it means to give our will over to God. That's what submission is, is to give our will over to God. Right? So the fact that we are freely willing people and have choices and have to deliberate if we're going to obey God or not going to obey God, James is commending to us that we need to live in a posture of submitting ourselves to God. And some other things as well, resist the devil, draw near to God, cleanse your hearts and purify, sorry, cleanse your hands and purify your hearts. So I think maybe what James is saying, like submit to God, here's how, resist the devil. Okay, I think I can recognize demonic things, right? Unholy things. So I will resist those things. But notice these are kind of couplets. And in the meantime, draw near to God. Okay. Like, I can do things that will draw me closer to God. I can pray. I can have conversation with him. I can read the scripture. I can come to church. I can have godly friends who help me to think about these things. And, you know, I can enjoy time in nature, which might bring you closer to God. For some people, it's long runs, long walks, bike rides, whatever it is. We, we know how to do some of that. But as we're resisting the devil, the point is draw near to God. So do those things that we need to do, which draws closer to God. And then cleanse our hands. I think that's James's way of saying something about our outward disposition, right? Because literally, cleanse your hands, wash your hands, make your outer self clean. But at the same time, purify your hearts. So don't just be washing your, you know, literally kind of washing your hands. Don't be cleansing yourself on the outside while leaving all the junk on the inside. But instead, as you're cleansing yourself outwardly, remember that what comes out of a man is what's already in his heart, the Gospels tell us. So, again, this is not a two, three, four step program or anything like that. I think that James is saying this is our lifestyle. Because when we do this, we become not double minded people, but single minded people. Now, this is, I, I, I am not an expert, surprise. I don't, I don't get this right all the time myself. I, I try. I try tangible things. I fail at some of those tangible things. God shows me new things that maybe I should do, ways I should adjust and change the way I behave and think and act as a believer, 
right? I, I try to actively resist the devil, but I'm sure there's many ways that I fail at that and don't do it. I mean, I know there is because I confess my sins and I know what those things are. And I, I take tangible steps to draw near to God, right? I, I do try to live my life in a way that seems to reflect that, I, that I'm striving to purify my heart. And so therefore I have clean hands. So again, I'm not, I'm not claiming that this is a set of steps. I'm not claiming that this is rocket science, except James says to do this. And so there, there we have it. And so my challenge to us is, is kind of this perennial challenge that we always have as believers, right? It's how to, to be people that know the truth, to be people that, that recognize within ourselves that, that these passions want a war, but yet at the same time somehow finding out a way to do what we know is the right thing to do and to make sure that when our passions are warring with one another, the good passions win, if you will. So again, I, I don't know what that means for each one of us. It would be wrong for me to even presume that. But this is what James has for people who are people of faith, people who want to show their faith and their conduct, people who have to recognize that our words and, and what we do and what we say can harm people. And then as people of understanding, people who are in relationship with God and know God and the way in which that changes the way we have to conduct ourselves and think about our lives. So again, this week, the scriptures has given us a lot to think about, and, and maybe, and this would be okay, maybe you think like, but I've heard something like this before, not even, not even the first time, you know, not before as in like this week I heard something like this. But take this to God, let us ask him, let you ask him, and I'll ask him, God, what does it mean for me to submit to you? What does it look like for me to give my will over to you? God, show me the ways that I'm not submitting to you. Make it obvious to me, right, the ways I'm not submitting. I tend to ask God to make his messages to me big because I don't think that I hear God's still small voice very well. I need God to be more yelling at me. I'm a billboard kind of guy. When God gets my attention, I need it to be big, but when he gets my attention, he has it. So ask God to show you what you need to be, not just doing, but the things you need to be thinking, the way in which you need to be living, inhabiting, uh, if you will, being a monk in this world. And as he shows those things to you, as always, ask him to give you the strength to do it. Because otherwise, then we're just working in our own strength, our own flesh, and then we become like those disciples having this weird conversation, behaving ourselves strangely while we're walking behind the incarnate Son of God himself. So submit to God. Give your will to him. And as you strive to do that, I'll do the same. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.